listeners, and welcome to the 47th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I finally have my new car. Uh, Yes, I had to give up the ridiculously overpowered V8 Camaro, which my wife maintains is a seriously dumb car, Um, but I I genuinely enjoyed driving it, and I, I feel like I get that car now. Um, I've recorded um, with my buddy Mike, but need to edit a review of that car, so look for that in the next couple of weeks. Um, as for my car, I ended up with a car that wasn't just a dark horse in that Who Wants to Be My Next Car in Air game show. It, it, it was so dark a dark horse that it didn't even make the short list. It was a no-list car, but, and and my wife can attest to this, after I drove it, I knew which car I wanted, and no other vehicle lived up to the same level of excitement it provided me. Um, I dropped a hint on this in last week's show, and I'm still getting used to it, uh, getting it broken in and and getting my seat to the exact level of recline that (laughs) suits my oddly proportioned torso, so I don't have too much to share on it just yet. But, ladies and gentlemen... My new car, the new poster child for Always Drive, for the podcast you listen to every week, is none other than the 2017 Volkswagen Golf GTI. Yes, the people's car won this person's heart with its sharp styling, roomy interior, and practical hauling capacity, paired with a grunty turbocharged 2-liter four-cylinder engine turning out 220 horsepower and, critically, almost 260 foot-pounds of torque. With a nifty mechanical limited slip differential and precise and light but communicative steering, this baby eats up corners and spits out speed hurtling you through the bends like it's a dog stung by a bee. It's a blast every time I'm behind the wheel, and to borrow James May's saying, it gives me the fizz in my pants that was so dearly missing from the Mazda. This particular model is a leftover 2017 model in SE trim and dipped in the reflex silver metallic paint, which I think looks splendid on it. Sure, there are a few gripes here and there, but... If there's one thing that's for certain, it's that no car is perfect, but this car comes awfully close to ticking every box and does so at a very reasonable price. So I'm still under 500 miles on the thing, and I'm waiting to really sort of give it the beans until we're past the 1,000-mile break-in period. So I'll have a full review sometime in the future, and I'm, I'm still going through the painful process of getting all my damn money from my insurance, Um, But I am, at the very least, very happy with the upgrade I was able to swing by investing thousands of dollars in a car that I wasn't planning to buy. So that's the update on me. Uh, Now for your top story this week. A 
talk an awful lot about electric cars on this show, and, and for good reason. They're widely accepted as the future of motoring, whether they be powered by exclusively by batteries or by hydrogen fuel cells or some sort of capacitor setup we've yet to see. And, and the reason for this are myriad. You know, EVs produce fewer carbon emissions, they have fewer moving parts, so in theory they're more reliable. They make less noise and, and pair better with autonomous systems. And, and critically, there, there is a finite amount of oil on this planet to power internal combustion cars. But the truth is, and I've spoken to this before, I love gasoline. I, I love pumping into a tank for five minutes and turning a key or pressing a button and having an electric motor spit that gasoline into a chamber whose sole purpose is to contain a tiny explosion ignited by a little electric spark. And more than anything else, I love the sound it makes. I mean, that's the reason for your moment of zen every week. I love the, the fire and fury of a singing six-cylinder engine and the, the rumbling burble of a V8, even at idle. And I love the angry beehive sound of a, a turbocharged four-cylinder, the raucous rasp of a, a V-twin, or especially the inline three on my bike. Um, and I'll miss all those things when gasoline engines go away. But, but fortunately, I, I don't think we're in danger of that, at least not for many, many years. In 2017, electric vehicles made up less than a tenth of a percent of total vehicle sales in the United States. And sure, they did better elsewhere in the world where incentives are higher or there are newer mo more models available of EV or where the income gap is narrower and, and people have more funds to spend on more expensive electric vehicles. But most analysts predict it will be at least 2025 before electric vehicles are on parity with internal combustion cars for, uh, in terms of cost to consumer. With the average price of cars rising every year and the income gap only widening, uh, an increasing majority of the auto-buying public will be priced out of electric cars even when their average price matches gasoline cars. Uh, buyers will continue to buy used petrol-powered cars until the third or fourth generation of EVs are out there and the initial versions have depreciated to the point where they're actually affordable. And even then, you'll have the issue of battery reliability and, and the length of life and the question of whether the infrastructure has built up enough for buyers to see EVs as worthy competitors to good old gas engines. Uh, according to a new report by the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute this week, uh, the rate of car ownership in the U.S. is increasing. It went from uh, 0.756 vehicles per person in 2015 to 0.766 vehicles per person in 2016. So there's a very real chance that um, of the people who are buying electric cars or who will be buying electric cars, they'll be buying it to complement their existing gas vehicles or to serve as a commuting car. Uh, another report from Bank of America predicts that the U.S. will reach peak oil demand in 2030, meaning that there will be no further growth in the demand for oil or gasoline. This, they say, will be directly caused by the increasing share of electric vehicles in the automotive marketplace, which is great. Um, why is it great if I'm trying to make an argument for uh, gasoline cars? Uh, because uh, less demand means that we could run into an oversupply situation where gas actually gets cheaper for uh, those holdouts of gasoline cars like myself or for low-income households who can't afford electric vehicles. There's obviously 
a risk here that oil companies anticipate this and start to curb their drilling or cut supplies. But from my knowledge of the oil and gas industry, where I, I did actually used to work, um, once a well is tapped, it doesn't make much financial sense to just plug it up and leave it if people are using less of your product. You run that well dry and squeeze it for everything it was worth. Uh, companies may not drill new wells or invest so much in, in shale, uh, which would be a great thing for the environment. So either way there, we kind of win. Plus, innovation continues with gasoline engines. Companies are finding new and creative ways to increase efficiency and maximize output. Take Mazda's Skyactiv-X technology, which achieves a 30% better fuel economy than its already good Skyactiv-G engines like I had in my Mazda 3. Rest in peace. Um, those will debut in 2019 when the Volvos and BMWs of the world are transitioning their lineups to all-electric and hybrid vehicles. Um, indeed, it, it's telling that the first companies committing to move to all-electrified cars are luxury automakers because they know that the cost is higher, but they also know that their buyers can afford it. But for every Volvo XC90, there's a Shelby Mustang. And for every Honda NSX, which is hybrid-powered, there's a Dodge Demon, which <laughs> is not at all hybrid-powered. Um, in fact, there have been many cars announced in the past year that rely solely on burning dinosaurs to go fast and create a great time. And there's no reason to think that's going to stop, especially when mixed with some of the hybrid and electric vehicles, auto manufacturers can meet or exceed corporate average fuel economy standards and still have room to blow on gas-guzzling performance cars for the masses. Plus, the low-cost cars will still be gas-powered, as will the classic cars and the trailer queens and the garage angels that have been sold up to this point and will be driven on weekends by old guys who share the same love for that symphony of combustion that I have. So I'll continue to talk about electric cars, and they'll very much continue to be the future of motoring. But that doesn't have to mean that internal combustion and gasoline cars will be relegated exclusively to our past. Here are some headlines. Peugeot Citroen Group, or PSA, as you'll recall, recently bought Opel and Vauxhall from General Motors, and it's looking like that's not the only way the French are coming after America. That's because this week PSA Group announced that their new North American headquarters would be based in Atlanta. Mercedes-Benz and Porsche have also opened headquarters in the Atlanta area, so it's starting to become something of a Detroit outside of Detroit. As an American, which uh, I assume most of you are, you'll probably know that Peugeots and Citroëns aren't sold in America and haven't been sold here for the better part of 30 years. Well, that's about to change as we've heard that all future PSA models will be designed to comply with American safety standards. According to CEO Carlos Tavares, they're starting to sell their cars here in 2026, which is exciting because there are a lot of really neat French cars that could only make the roads here look better. Uh, whether or not they make enough compact crossovers to satisfy the American market is a different thing, though. As we've covered before, all next-generation Volvos will be hybrids or electrics of some sort, but they're probably going to be using some sort of gasoline engines for some time more. Um, but to demonstrate how deep their commitment is to environmental responsibility, Volvo's factory in Skurvda, Sweden, is now entirely carbon-neutral. They accomplished this through biomass and waste incineration to produce heat for the factory, which way up there near the Arctic Circle, they, they kind of need. Um, 
and by sourcing all of their power from renewable sources. Um, this is something that they intend to reproduce across all their factories by 2025. BMW, in typical BMW fashion, wants to get the same de get to the same destination faster and is aiming for carbon neutral status by in all factories by 2020. And it's nice to see how both manufacturers are embracing environmental friendliness and to see that BMW can turn literally anything into a race. Uh, Tesla was back in the news this week when a Model S operating in semi-autonomous mode smashed into the back of a parked fire truck on the 405 highway in Los Angeles. The fire truck was blocking traffic to help clean up a prior accident, and luckily nobody was injured, but the images make it look like the Tesla was going pretty damn fast when it hit, uh, hit the truck. Uh, when reached for a comment, Tesla representatives pulled out the rolled standby that autopilot was only supposed to be used by a fully attentive driver, which everyone immediately knows is bullshit, because why would you name it autopilot if it wasn't meant to take over for the driver? Clearly, the driver wasn't paying attention, because it's generally pretty hard to miss fire trucks with their big red bodies and flashing blue and red lights, uh, especially in sunny, clear Los Angeles. Um, what this really underscores, though, is not the carelessness of the drivers trusting their cars too much, but rather how far we have to go before autonomous driving is really ready for our roads. Tesla plays it fast and loose in this regard, saying that they're the closest company to a level 5 autonomous vehicle, and that Chevy unveiled its completely driverless Bolt last week. But a study by AAA this week also revealed that 63% of drivers actively fear autonomous cars joining our roads. Granted, that's down from 78% of uh, people fearing them last year, and still somehow 51% of uh, people still want some autonomous features in their car. I mean, I guess some of those people want them and also fear them. Uh, but stories like this keep cropping up, and, and if they continue to do so, that 63% may start to creep back up towards that 78% again. Jeff Bracken, who is vice president and general manager of Lexus Group, sat down with CarBuzz this past week and spoke very candidly about the famous or infamous spindle grill that adorns all modern Lexuses, or Lexi. Um, he said the grill was an attempt to revive the Lexus brand from its formerly boring identity after Lexus was outsold by Mercedes and BMW in 2011. Average buyer age was inching up past 60, and the company needed to attract younger buyers to stay relevant. So they shook things up and slapped a face on it that looks like an angry insect mated with an alien that had its face stretched back by an industrial leaf blower. I, I, I won't ever knock a, num a company for trying to do something different, um, because trying to appeal to everyone just means you're basically going to wind up with a bland product that lacks identity and appeal. Basically a Subaru. Functioning good, but completely uninteresting. Uh, but in doing so, you polarize your audience, and, and what Lexus has done is take a brand from boring to ugly. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather drive a boring-looking ISF with 400 horsepower uh, and a V8 that really roars, uh, but nobody expects because it's a sleepy sedan, than a hideous-looking ES350 that goes okay, but looks like it burns when exposed to direct sunlight and will be waiting for you beneath your bed when you go to sleep at night. While Lexus's VP sort of uh, took a dump on his own brand styling, other auto executives took this week to throw some shade on their competitors. Uh, starting with Aston Martin CEO Andy Palmer, he spoke to Autocar on the difficulty of working with electric vehicle manufacturers and vendors, and, and highlighted Dyson in particular, saying, uh, I wish him the best of luck, uh, but on the numbers that have been reported, 
I know you won't do it for that money. I know you won't do it in that timescale. At least I know I couldn't. Um, of course, he's not saying that Dyson can't do it and highlights the fact that he couldn't do it, but it's definitely implying that they, they don't know what they're into. He mentioned working with other EV tech companies saying, We've had discussions with about 10 of them. Every single one has underestimated the difficulty of engineering a car to a budget and an aggressive timescale. Some of them will get there, but always over budget and late. And speaking of uh, companies that sound an awful lot like Tesla, Bob Lutz, former GM executive, came out swinging this week, first bending over backwards to compliment the company on their incredible achievements and creating an attractive, fast electric car, but he went off the rails a little bit. Um, after suggesting that collectors should start snapping up Model S's, he said, 25 years from now, the Model S will be remembered as the first really good-looking, fast electric car. People will say, too bad they went broke. Um, Bob is not known for for pulling punches, uh, but he is known for reviving General Motors, so he absolutely knows the automotive industry, which should be fairly alarming for Elon Musk and Tesla. They, however, know how to run a technology company, and as the automotive market increasingly becomes the technology market, maybe they'll figure it out, or maybe Bob will be totally right. In other electric vehicle startup news, Faraday Future lost their head of human resources this week, uh, which wouldn't have been a story if they hadn't made it one. Uh, for one, the departing Crystal Peterson had been with the company for three years, which in startup uh, terminology is ages, um, and her departure was greeted with an internal communication, uh, which was of course leaked to the press, indicating a new no-tolerance policy for negativity or disloyalty. It said, we will not allow the organization to be submarined from within. Oh, Faraday future. I think we're well past that point. Um, last summer, I covered a story detailing the miserable lives of some Ford engineers who had to babysit autonomous pizza delivery cars shipping out piping hot dominoes to residents of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, well, occasional co-host and frequent contributor to the show, Mike Labazetta, shared with me a story that wrapped up some of their findings from the study. Um, which did end up being pretty interesting, uh, but still not something I'm sure was a good use of their master's degrees. Um, they learned that people were paranoid and didn't want to enter the last four digits of their credit card to receive their pizza, but they were fine entering their phone number. Uh, they learned that people were courteous and would thank the autonomous car for bringing them their pies. They learned that people were dumb and would come outside without shoes on and not want to step into the street where there may be broken glass. All of this evaluation of the user experience will help Ford uh, and, and Domino's inform and refine future delivery processes, which will make things easier for people as this sort of technology catches on. What I think we'll start seeing is, rather than tailoring existing cars to fit the specific types of tasks an autonomous vehicle performs, I think we'll probably see a tailoring of the vehicle design itself, where maybe there's an animated figure that interacts with the user to establish that personal connection and engender trust so they can receive the credit card information and say, you're welcome when the vehicle gets thanked, or I'm sorry, you really should be wearing shoes when the car runs over your bare feet. Um, despite conjuring images of uh, black lungs, congestion in cities is quite a different thing and uh, is definitely a problem in many cities worldwide. Uh, while we have toll roads and bridges here in America, we haven't really seen any congestion charges levied in any cities, but that could change soon in New York because a proposal from the governor's panel 
recommends establishing an $11.52, which is a really weird amount, charge for drivers accessing certain parts of the city. This is intended to discourage drivers going to areas to reduce traffic congestion, thus the name congestion charge. Uh, scheduled to go into effect in 2020, if approved, the charges are projected to raise $810 million without factoring in fees for taxis or, or Uber or Lyft drivers, um, much of which would get reinvested into the city's subway system, which is barely functioning at this point. Um, of course, instead of driving, people will probably try to take the subway to get to the parts of the city now covered by the congestion charge, in which case they'll be using the already horrible system and not paying for the fee to upgrade it. So New York definitely has things figured out. On the other coast, Los Angeles has been called out for its highly publicized uh, purchase of all-electric BMW i3 vehicles. A CBS investigation found that after having the city spend more than $10 million on the cars, they mostly sit around unused in a parking garage. The, the whole report was pretty damning, finding that the cars had very few miles on them and that the administrative purposes the cops were supposed to be using these for turned out to be manicures and not much else. They're leasing the vehicles from BMW, getting a hundred of them every couple of years, and BMW must be thrilled to be getting such low-mileage cars back off of lease and selling them on to manicurists across the Southland. Get your shit together, L.A. Um, speaking of doing things just for looks, Bentley has announced that they will be entering their new Bentega SUV in the annual Pikes Peak International Hill Climb this year. Now, I get on automakers' cases for testing their cars on the Nürburgring because, come on, who really cares? Even most auto enthusiasts don't ever get to drive on the Nürburgring, but taking a 5,340-pound SUV on a grueling hill climb normally reserved for purpose-built race cars takes idiocy to an entirely new level. Uh, maybe they think they are just aren't selling enough cars in Colorado, or... Maybe they thought Richard Hammond got some great press when he crashed his Rimac on the hill climb in Switzerland and they thought they could replicate it. I don't know. It's dumb. Um, after announcing the new Bullet Mustang last week, Ford auctioned off the first to roll off the production line and it fetched $300,000 at the Barrett-Jackson auction. Unlike most auction sales where buyers pay way over the value of a car to benefit nothing but their own egos, the money will actually go to Boys Republic, a school for troubled young men in California. A fun fact here is that Steve McQueen, the famous actor and racing driver who drove a Mustang in the movie Bullet, for which the special model got its name, he actually, he being McQueen, actually attended Boys Republic when he was a kid. So kudos to Ford for um, doing something nice and making a, a, a pretty neat connection there. I'm sure they'll they'll make up some of that money uh, from their suing John Cena for selling his Ford GT. Um, but suing people and giving back to charity aren't all Ford has been up to this week. Uh, they released the findings of a survey they conducted that found that, wouldn't you just know it, driving a sports car makes you feel good. Um, apparently the study focused on the vaguely termed buzz moments and what triggers them by testing people's reaction to watching Game of Thrones, kissing their partner dancing, and driving a Ford Focus RS. Unsurprisingly, they found that driving the Focus RS gave participants more buzz moments than all the other testing situations. Unfortunately, it could also be giving them carbon monoxide poisoning because Ford also announced this week a service advisory 
for more than 27,000 Focus RS models because of bad head gaskets, which has apparently been a known issue that's only now being confirmed. So if you're driving a Ford Focus RS and you're feeling lightheaded, you could be having one of those great buzz moments, or your brain could be starved for oxygen and you need to seek medical treatment. A couple of weeks ago, I covered a story about a bobcat getting stuck in a vehicle's grill after being hit and being taken for a 50-mile ride. Well, folks, it's happened again, uh, but this time to a freaking great horned owl uh, after being hit by an SUV, the owl became lodged in the grill of the car and for 160 miles before the drivers finally decided to stop and see what that thing was that they hit a few states back. Uh, fortunately, the poor owl will be okay apart from a few busted blood vessels in his eye and some tussled feathers, but people, come on, if you hit something and you would feel it if you hit one of the largest owls in the world... Pull over and check it out. Jesus Christ. Um, 3D printing has come a long way in recent years, uh, going from high-end manufacturing to uh, consumer-friendly applications. Chances are you know someone who owns a 3D printer, but Bugatti's going a step above creating neat figurines, puzzles, and, and wedding cake toppers. Uh, they're working with a German company to develop 3D-printed brake calipers. Uh, the things that squeeze the brake pads onto the brake rotors to actually cause your car to stop moving. Um, typically, brake calipers are cast aluminum or steel or iron because it's reliable, it's sturdy, it doesn't flex, ensuring you get even braking, which, as you can imagine, is, is fairly important. Um, but cast metal is heavy, and when you're talking about supercars, every little gram of weight reduction helps improve performance. But the more weight you take out of the brake calipers, the more likely they are to flex, which reduces braking performance. Again, very important. So 3D printing cal these calipers, Bugatti is hoping to get the best of both worlds. Light as a feather, stiff as a board, just like that stupid game dumb kids play when they want to pretend their friends are dead. Uh, Jean-Marc Gales, uh, I think is how you pronounce it, is the CEO of Lotus and someone I think would be really fun to grab a beer with. How can I tell? Um, no, it's not the French name, and it, it's not. It's it's definitely the fact that he was pulled over for doing 102 miles an hour in a 70 mile per hour zone last year, and trying to get out of the ticket by saying it was important that he test the cars himself. Of course, it didn't work, and he was fined 666 pounds for his trouble and banned for driving for 30 days. Uh, the worst-case scenario, he could have been banned for six months, so he did get off kind of light. And I know what some of you people are saying. Oh, he was driving dangerously. Well, there's a difference between driving fast and driving dangerously. And you can hit those sort of speed, high speeds very quickly when nobody is around and you're in a Lotus, so it isn't necessarily the case that he was endangering anyone. At the same time, dude, you're a CEO of a major British car company. Your engineers take these cars to countless tracks you have in England to, to test them. Just tag along sometime and test them there. You'll be so much better and, and you won't get banned. Still, Jean-Marc, you're my kind of idiot. Uh, like it or not, um, mom jeans are back in style and so is plaid flannel, holes in denim, and a bunch of other dumb stuff we used to wear in the 90s. Uh, for me, this isn't a real problem because my, my wardrobe never really evolved beyond that point. But in case yours did and you're aching to get back with that vintage vibe, um, and you also happen to be a huge fan of Honda Motorsports, well, you should hit up Forever 21. 
The disposable clothing company uh, announced this week that they are coming out with an outrageously extreme lineup of Honda-themed apparel that screams 90s and as obnoxious as and, and trendy as most of these things are. I kind of love it, uh, but at the same time, I don't, uh, because I, I would love it if this was one of those, look how crazy and silly this is, I'm going to wear it because I don't care what people think and I think it's radical. But I fear this is actually a, this is so extra because it looks like what my stepbrother used to wear when he would like come back from street racing with his friends. Oh my God, remember his friend Brian? I had such a huge crush on Brian. Anyway, what's a Honda 500? Uh, anyway, if there's one business model that's made a name for itself by catering to stoners and drunks, it's Taco Bell. And uh, the home and indeed birthplace of Fourth Meal knows its core customers, um, some of whom may be wearing Honda 500 shirts. Um, what they want and when they want it. The, the problem for their customers is Taco Bell isn't everywhere, which leads to problems like we saw this week in Spring Hill, Florida. There, a man desperately jonesing for a burrito tried to order one from a drive through lane at a, at a Bank of America. Unfortunately for this gentleman, they were fresh out, so he passed out behind the wheel in his car, blocking a lane. After the manager tried pounding on the car to wake him up, he repeatedly he repeated his request, and when it couldn't be satisfied, drove off in a huff. Uh, fortunately for everyone, he only made it as far as the parking lot, where he passed out again after parking. Uh, cops determined that he was high on oxycodone and Xanax, both of which he was actually prescribed, uh, and charged him with a DUI. So not only did the poor guy not get his pur burrito, he received prison con queso, uh, where queso is a hefty fine. Now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my whip with my bed. Every once in a while, something good comes out of Ohio. Uh, my wife is one example, but it's been more than 30 years, so they're about due. Um, in comes Lebanon Ford, a dealership in Ohio that just loves Mustangs and, and thinks that the measly 420 horsepower V8 is just pathetic. So to resolve this issue, they are twin turbocharging the V8 and selling the revised model as the LFP Hellion. The crazy thing is this thing starts at six to 700 horsepower at seven PSI, but the turbos can be tuned to run at 30 PSI meaning the car pumps out an incredible and entirely unusable 1,200 horsepower. And all of this starts at just $52,000. Of course, the current Mustang is, is one of the best-looking Mustangs in the company's history. And now with Lebanon's for, Lebanon Ford's help, they're also some of the most ridiculously powerful. In terms of bang for the buck, this has to be one of the best. Uh, so, well done, Ohio. Um... Even the, the, the relative car noobs will probably at least know of Bugatti uh, from that, their outrageous Veyron, one of which I actually saw on the highway last weekend, and, and more recently the Chiron. Um, but those are not the only uh, two relatively modern uh, supercars the company has made. Um, the sort of analog black sheep of the Bugatti Veyron, uh, family is the EB110. Uh, which was last produced 26 years ago, but still looks incredible. Um, well, a company that specializes in repairing those EB110s apparently purchased a bunch of carbon fiber monocoque chassis of the 110 uh, and are planning on making their own vehicle from 10 of them. 
In place of the EB110's surprisingly reasonable 550 horsepower quad-turbo 3.5-liter V12, they're porting it to 3.8 liters and twin-turbocharging it to 720 horsepower, which will deliver 60 miles per hour in 3.4 seconds on your way to a claimed top speed of 220. The, the vehicle, um, which it, it has a very sad look about it, uh, Google it and, and you'll probably see what I mean. You know, you, you see the face of a car. This, this has a sad face, and I think it could be sad because of its name. It's called the Cassil Motors SP110 Adonis Fennis. And an Adonis Fennis sounds like a great name you give to a cat that's an asshole, so you can put him down in a way that he knows he's being put down, but can't do anything about. But for a car, that, that that's kind of a shame. Um, so that's pretty much all, all I had for this week. Um, our, our call to action this week, I, I was stuck in traffic... <laughs> Uh, which isn't necessarily normally notable, um, but but Wednesday I, I was stuck um, parked on the highway for about two hours um, because I I had the uh, relative unluckiness to be uh, uh, about a quarter mile behind a fatal accident where a guy was apparently driving like a jerk and weaving through cars and tried to cut across five lanes of traffic to uh, to make an exit cut off a an 18-wheeler which uh, ran over him, set his car on fire, and killed him, um, which, uh, you know, my, I had two hours of my day where I was, you know, stuck getting used to my new car and working on my laptop before they actually turned us around on the highway and, and sent us uh, back up an on-ramp to, to get around the wreck. Um, but, it really helped um, provide some extra perspective on the wreck that I had earlier this month where, you know, I was T-boned coming home from work, but it could have been so much worse. Um, and, and I, you know, I was inconvenienced for a couple hours, but again, it could have been so much worse. I, not only could I have been the guy who died, I could have been one of the people who was sent to the hospital. So I guess just take a moment and and and... and get some perspective on your own life because life can be fleeting and you could be, uh, you know, doing one thing one day and then just die on your way to work the next. So uh, try to try to enjoy it to its fullest and, and, and be safe out there because, it, you know, driving cars, it's a lot of fun, but it is statistically one of the most dangerous ways to travel. So the, the better we can all be at it and, and the more courteous we can all be about it, um, I think the the better we're all gonna be. <laughs> so uh, thank you for listening and and thankless thank you <laughs> thankless thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Um, as I mentioned in the headlines this week, uh, we heard some hot air from Aston Martin CEO Andy Palmer about Dyson's potential in the automotive industry, um, which it seems kind of cruel, but it's not entirely without merit. Uh, it's not like Aston Martin d- doesn't know what they're doing. And uh, to prove uh, that they do know what they're doing is the glorious sound of the Aston Martin V8 Vantage, but being driven as a rally car, um, because anything can be a rally car if you just put your mind to it. So I'll see you back here next week. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. (laughs) 